Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Flavors Unknown. Have you seen with the pandemic confining millions of people to their homes, America suddenly is obsessed with bread making? For some, making sourdough, baking, and kneading the dough offers stress relief benefits. My guest today is baker Matthew Cabon from Magnol Bakery in Houston. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche, and you are listening to episode 45 of my podcast, Flavors Unknown. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US, and every other week I interview trending chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders across the country. If you are new to the show, my guest last week was Farmer Lee Jones from the Chef's Garden Farm in Ohio, pioneer of the sustainable agricultural movement, providing the best vegetables, herbs, and edible blossoms to all the top chefs around the country. Obviously, with the pandemic, they pivoted their business to home delivery, providing you with their great products directly to your doorsteps. The episode today is about bread making and what I love the most about how to make the best croissant. Matthew Cabon is originally from Brittany, France, worked at the MGM Grant in Las Vegas at Joël Rebuchon, then became the chef baker at the French pavillon designed by Paul Bocuse at Disney Epcot Center, and now Matthew is a partner at the Magnol Bakery in Houston. Hello, Matthew, and welcome to the podcast Flavors Unknown. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I, you know what? I am really excited and thrilled to have you because that's the first artisan baker that I have uh, on the show. So um, this is really cool for me. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on it. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, uh, I'm a little bit proud of being the first one. <laughs> so we met in Houston in December last year at your bakery, uh, Magnol. Yes. So that was uh, that was pretty fun to um, you know find a comp- French compatriot in uh, <laughs> you know in uh, in Houston. We see a lot of bakery artisan bakery like popping up like around the country here in the US. So what do you think artisan breads are so popular nowadays? I think it comes back from the the, the quality of the product. First of all, uh, people want to go get back to it uh, like we used to be back in the days. Like the traditional method, uh, the respect of the ingredients, or the quality of the flour, the water. I think people are tired of uh, what we call white bread here, you know? So I think it's the evolution of the taste. Yeah. yeah and this is really going like throughout, uh, you know, the country. There's, um, in fact, even recently, I think one of the media has published, you know, one of the, like the list of like the top, uh, whatever, 25 or 50, um, you know, artisan bakery, um, uh, bakeries around the, the country, which is um, a, a good sign to see that, uh, you know, the, the, the quality of the bread is uh, really, uh, I want to say, rising up, <laughs> you know, around, yeah, right. around the country. <laughs> so wh- what is the difference between the, uh, the artisan bread and, and regular bread? Well, the main one will be, I believe, the time, time given to the process. When you go for um, industrial bread, uh, which has no flavor, lots of preservatives, lots of preservatives, the artisan bread really started with only three 
main ingredients, which is like flour, the water, and the salt. Uh, even the yeast, uh, we don't use much yeast, or not at all. We use what we call the levain, the mother, the sourdough, and uh, that'll give you so much more conservation. You can keep the artisan bread, you can easily serve it for like three or four days at home, and you won't get hard like a brick. When you don't respect the process, like uh, like industry, when you are between the, the mixing and the, the oven, the baking process, if you only have like two hours and a half or three hours, you have no flavor development, you have no structure development, and you have, because of that, your bread would be super hard, uh, like a brick, like I said, uh, at the end of the day. So yeah, the artisan bread is really about time given. Like for example, at Magnol, we, we overnight all our doughs. So we will mix on a Monday and we only work and bake on a Tuesday. So like every day, then you are preparing like uh, the dough for the day after. Exactly. Okay. And um, so what type of uh, artisan bread that are your favorites? Because, you know, there's a, a lot of different types. And maybe I'm wrong if I said that they are all into the category of artisan bread. But uh, obviously, I'm very fond of uh, the baguettes. Yes. <laughs> but there's, uh, you know, the, lo the loaf and then there's uh, the rye, the sourdough, the chabiata as well. So what, what do you like the most? Yourself? I would say, so when I go to another bakery, especially in France, uh, but anywhere now, I will always go by, I will buy the baguette first. Between bakers, we judge ourselves, I would say, with the baguette and the croissant. But my favorite one, personally, uh, to taste, to eat, uh, would be a loaf. Why the loaf? Because it's a bigger piece. You bake for a longer time, at a slower, a lower temperature. So it really gives that crust, like a thick, thick crust and a nice caramelization and little, little burn notes. And that's, that's what, to me, that's to me the, the way to, uh, to enjoy bread. Yes. It's more the crust than the crumb, actually. I mean, that, that's for me as, as well, like a big difference, obviously, between, you know, France and, and the U.S. And I, I'm asking you the question about, um, you know, the difference of the preference, in fact, that exists between the Americans and the French, because I'm always, if it's not like an artisan bakery, I'm disappointed with most of the bread here in the U.S. because I love the contrast of the crunchy crusts and, uh, you know, the soft of uh, the texture, you know, inside. What do you think there is such a, you know, a difference between, uh, you know, the American preference and, and the French preference? I think it's in the culture. American bread uh, is very soft. And also like, like Asian bread, if you think about it. In Asia, they have the same. They have all soft bread and uh, Americans like their, their bread soft, like really not baked, really not overcooked. And us, uh, we try, in France, it's the opposite. We like our bread like overbaked, I would say for American point of view. But we try, us coming in America and uh, with our luggage, baggage, and we, we try to bring them that, that tradition that this is the way it's, it is in France. Now, you, we might not like it. Not all of, all of them will like it, but some of them will try and be like, oh, that's why your bread is different. That's why you know for your bread. So those people will come back. But some people just come and say, can I get the less baked, please? The more white bread you have? <laughs> And I'm like, well, I can give it to you, but I'm sorry, it's going to be, especially on a, if there is a high humidity uh, day outside, I mean, that's going to be like a sponge, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I always remember, uh, you know, when I was in France and uh, I think I get that from my parents and I always, uh, you know, remember them going to, with them to uh, the boulangerie and, and asking for, 
you know, the bread that are like really the well-cooked and the well-baked <laughs> yes. compared to, you know, like the others. And uh, so that's probably what, um, you know, uh, got my, um, my taste preference, you know, from since I was, I was a kid. And so how do you reach that contrast, you know, in texture between the crust and, and the softness inside? So the bakery, the main equipment that don't have a house is really our oven. We have a steam injected oven. So as soon as you put the, uh, your bread, as soon as you load your deck uh, with the dough, uh, you press the button and the steam comes out. So the bread actually baked in a humid atmosphere, a humid chambers, as we call. And, uh, and that helps that. So you avoid the, uh, the, the, the temperature shock. And so he, he, uh, he allows the, the dough, what we call the final fermentation. So he rise, the bread rise for the, for the, for the last time in the oven. Maybe just for like 10 minutes, but that's what brings the volume of the bread. And then the crust has time to, to bake, but not burn because it, it's in a humid atmosphere. And most of the soft bread, like you find like uh, the sandwich bread in America, most of them are baked in a, in a mold, you know, this type of bake doesn't need uh, steam. So if you go back in time, can you uh, explain to us a little bit, how did you get involved in bread making and uh, why did you select, you know, this job? Oh, that's a long time ago when I was like a, like a young teenager. Oh, you're not that old. Come on. Uh, yeah, I, don't. <laughs> I know you started it's probably young, but still. Feeling the age, you know. <laughs> no, it's really my first souvenir is with my mom because where I grew up, I come from a village, like 3,000 people. And my house will not even be in that village. It would be like, like, let's say like two miles away. And only yeah. on Sunday. And it was Sunday, in Brittany, correct? In exactly. France. All the way at the end, close to Brest. Yeah. Only on Sunday morning, my mom will drive to the village, to the bakery, buy the bread, buy the croissant fresh and bring it back for us for the morning, for the breakfast. So I was really, we were, uh, me and my brother and my sister we were very excited and we, we were actually waiting all week long for that Sunday morning breakfast with a fresh product. And, when you open the bag on the table, just the smell of all those flavors and the butter on the croissant, that makes me so happy. And I was like, hmm, who's this guy who does that? I mean, I want to know. <laughs> and then every time we'd go after school, or even on Sunday after the church, we'd go uh, buy the, 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 to the bakery. And uh, most of the bakery in France, the door of the, uh, the laboratory of the kitchen, most of them are open. And I would sneak my, my head to the door and look at those guys working. And when you put your head there, so you see the flavors, the, the smell of the fermentation really like hit me. I'm like, that might be nice. That may be, that, that's a place I, I want to go. I, I want to see how it is. And uh, so I was 15 years old and I wanted to go bakery. And my dad say, well, yes, but what about in six months? You realize it's not your passion and you don't want to do that anymore. Then you stop. So he says, so from 15 to 18, you're going to go high school. And then you're going to figure it out. And I will say, okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you were after that, I mean, you were on a training, you know, in Brittany, you know, how was it like, you know, what was the day like in the life of uh, a young baker in France at that time? Yes, Can so, you uh, take us yeah. through it? So I start, I started 18 years old, really, uh, the baking study. And uh, so I, I did for four years, three different diplomas. So I was on a training program. So it means in France, you find a, you find a boss, you find a company that you can work with and you'll spend three weeks with them working, working as, as a trainee. 
And then one week a month, uh, I was going to school to study the science, to study the biology, to study the why and the how. And uh, so my day was starting at 5 a.m. or 2 a.m. and uh, working an hour, seven or eight hours, sometimes more, of course. It was very interesting because when you walk in for the first time, you have really no idea what's going on. And the magic of seeing this thing, like called a doe rising, was just like, and then you have someone who knows and is passionate. I, I met that guy called Patrick and uh, he was passionate by uh, his work and uh, his product. And he really gave me the passion, yes, uh, the respect of the product. Because we always said uh, the real boss in a bakery is actually not the chef baker, it's the dough itself. Because <laughs> the dough, the, you have to follow the dough. The dough will not follow you. If you're on a rush and you rush your dough, she's going to make you pay the next day. And if you have to, or if you're late, it's overproof, then there's nothing you can do about it. So actually, the, the real baker follows the dough. It's not the opposite. The real baker follows the dough and not the reverse. Okay, that's another learning for me. So that means that, and, and every day, yes, you are telling us that this is different, correct? It's different based on the atmospheric condition, the humidity in the air, you know, all of this? Yeah, the temperature, temperature of the laboratory, uh, even if it's the, uh, if it's stormy outside, you know it's going to be the atmospheric pressure. If it's uh, high or low, it does play with the fermentation, the speed of fermentation. That's why we take temperature of all, all the ingredients, the water, the flour. We have all this information available with us. And we know when, when my guy pour the water, uh, let's make sure they know what are they doing. If it's hot outside, you need to pull a little bit lower temperature on the, on the water. If it's cold outside, you need to go higher to respect your timings. Because we say, yes, you have to wait an hour before you fold. Well, this is just an education. And the real baker will know, okay, today is going to be 45 minutes. Today is going to be an hour and 15 minutes just to get to the final product, like consistency on the final product. It's, wow. um, yeah. Yeah, and is it based based on experience or there is any like guidelines and there is any like, you know, like reference book or reference, you know, publication in terms of, you know, if this is the temperature, like kind of curves, you know, that exists, you know, I, I have a scientific background. So it's me like, you know, talking about this, but do you have that guide, those guidelines or this is really based on experience? I would say yes, you do have the guidelines. Uh, each, uh, the good recipe comes, especially from professional, uh, the recipe comes with temperature and timing. But like I said, I, I was doing bread in Las Vegas. It's not the same as uh, Orlando or it's the same like Brittany, France. So what you do is you take that whole recipe from the book and you follow perfectly that recipe. And then you adjust. For the next week, you're going to be adjusting the timing, the the amount of uh, flour, the amount of yeast, the amount of uh, the hydration, and then you get to the product that you really want and it works. So you're talking about Vegas. So obviously, so you were in Brittany and you decided to make the move and to come to the US back in 2007. So why did you decide to come to the US and, and why did you end up in Las Vegas? So it's funny because I, I actually never decided to come to uh, USA. I was okay. 25. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was 25 years old and I was like, okay, I want to be, I want to discover the world. I want to see different people, different culture. Uh, I want to meet the world. So I, uh, just what I did, I just post online my, uh, my resume and I just wait. And I was so close to sign a contract in, uh, Colanta Island, 
close to uh, Thailand with a French guy. That was the dream. Like, you, you bake on the morning, on the afternoon, I, I show you the surf. Uh, you're going to work with Thai <laughs> people, local people. You're going to go in the culture. And, and I'm like, wow, that's the dream right there. And then one day, my phone rang, and uh, and I hear this voice like, hi, my name is Kamel Kishida, and I'm the pastry chef for Joël Robuchon Las Vegas. Are you still available? Uh-oh. Are you still looking for a job? And I'm like, this is a joke, right? And he's like, no, I repeat, Joël Robuchon, Las Vegas. Joël like, Robuchon, wow. yes. Wow. Uh, only with that name, I'm sure that's... <laughs> exactly. I was <laughs> it's like, wow. important in a decision, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, well, let me think, you know, and uh, that was the, the choice was very easy. It was all the dream, all the opportunity. And you, the dream, you can always go back to your dream. The opportunity, you take it or you leave it, but you might not never come back. And so that's why I decided to, uh, to follow uh, follow him. And uh, six months later, I was in Vegas. So yeah, big big chalk coming from my, uh, <laughs> my very my very Brittany. different from yes. non, from Brittany. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was something. Yes, <laughs> that was a culture shock. <laughs> but, uh, but we were well uh, surrounded, and they, they really helped us at the beginning to move in and uh, get installed. And because uh, we were a team, like really, the, it, it was lots of French people there. We, we worked in on the G1 visa and so they had a little program. So they made it easy for us, yeah. Did you have the chance to um, meet uh, Joël Robuchon or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was, back in the days, he was coming like three or four times a year, a year to Vegas. Yes, so very intimidating. The first time you shake his hand, it's just like, wow, sir, bonjour. <laughs> yes. It's very yeah. intimidating, yeah. But what a, what a palette, what a, what a, what a, what a chef. And so you were the um, you're the, the head baker after that there, correct? At the yes. at the MGM Grand. Yes. So we were just I was me and my team were just working for Joël Robichon. What was that experience? So how how is it you know in uh, to be at uh, the the Joël Robichon place in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas? It's it's nerve wracking. <laughs> now what you learn really on those uh, three star Michelin uh, restaurants to me it's uh, more than the high quality. And the respect of the product, what's the real focus is really the consistency. Consistency of the quality every single day. By respect to those customers and, and, and our guests, there is no mistake possible. That's really... But I'm course, sure it was like a time of adaptation for you because even if I'm an adult, an expert, you know, in the area of uh, bread making, but I can tell just by using, you know, some of the ingredients that the flour you know, in the U.S. is completely different from the one you were probably used to, you know, when you were in Brittany, correct? Yes, yes, yes. So the, the dough was not working the same as I, I uh, was used to in Brittany, back in France. But at the same time, I walk in a bakery that there is, the book of UCP was there already, and it was uh, some people working there, so they knew what they were doing. All I had to do was just to catch up, you know? But probably be your recipes that you had, uh, you know, like the exact recipes that you had in France were not easy to transpose, correct? Exactly. Like we talked earlier about, it's about adaptation. You have to uh, play with the percentage of the rotation and the timing. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's faster, stronger, because uh, the wheat in America are much stronger than the one in France. When you, what does that mean when you say the wheat is much stronger? In terms of taste, you mean? Yeah, taste and texture. Yeah, it doesn't... Ab- you absorb more, much more water than in, in France, for example. So then you have to adapt. Yeah. And then in thirteen, in two thousand and thirteen, you became the chef baker of the French Pavilion at the Disney Epcot Center that was designed by the son of Paul Bocuse, correct? 
Yes. Oh, it was designed by Paul Brokers and in oh, fact yeah. run by his by his son, correct? Sorry, I mean I made a mistake yeah. here. His son uh, Jerome, yes. Yeah, Jerome Bocus, yeah. So how was it different from Las Vegas? So over there it was he was is uh, the high production. The same as top quality. Uh you have to respect the customer and uh but uh, it was big, bigger, much bigger production than uh, Adobe Bichon. Because it, really? uh, being being in Epcot in the Walt Disney uh, one of the uh, Walt Disney Park, you have so much food traffic every single day that I never seen that. I never pictured that. Uh, that was the first time I actually went to walk in the Walt Disney Park, even in Paris. I never I never been in the one in Paris. I was impressed. Like it feels like everybody's on vacation all the time. <laughs> like there is always some people in the Walt Disney World. It's very interesting. But uh, we were serving, so over there, the operation is uh, one restaurant in Brasserie who does lunch and dinner. And then uh, like a more gastronomic uh, restaurant who only does dinner. And the main focus for us as uh, a bakery was the uh, the bakery itself. And uh, we were serving breakfast items, sandwich, savory sweets, coffee, and uh, from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. And that was so high traffic. Yes. So you, and you have to, you have to keep the quality standards, but much more bigger quantity. And then you have the opportunity to go to where you are now in Houston with the Magnol Bakery. So can you explain to us a little bit what is the setup in Magnol Bakery? And it's, uh, cause you have like kind of a dual, of course, like almost kind of business, one for the professional and then one for, you know, like the consumers that had come to um, the place like we did. And, um, you know, buy um, both like bakeries, pastries and viennoiserie, right? Yeah. So what happened is uh, I met Otto Sanchez when I was in Vegas. It was a pastry. And uh, so he, uh, we've been friends since in the Gay Coast. It's 13 years now. But he's from Houston and uh, he came back from Houston. He, he went to Dubai. He, he did his little life for 10 years. And then he came back to Houston. And he called me one day, like two years ago, he called me and he said, Hey, Matt, I really have a project. I really want to open uh, the bakery. I want you to come and visit and uh, let's talk about it. So I, two weeks later, I was in a plane, like the first time in Texas, and I landed in Houston. And we talked and uh, we agreed. And uh, so basically what it is, Magnol, so it's a French organic bakery. And we do, we do, both, so we do wholesale for the restaurants and a uh, couple hotels in town. And some people at first that was, it was supposed to be just wholesale. And, uh, then some people knock our door and say, Oh, we went to this restaurant last night and we had your bread. Can we buy it? And we're like, uh, no, you can't. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we look at each other and we're like, that's not the right, the right answer. answer. We need to change that. <laughs> exactly. There's an you opportunity know? there. We yes. feel bad here. So we were giving them the bread by the door. Like, here is a baguette. Take a baguette. Oh, really? <laughs> 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 and so we we realized like it was uh, it was actually a real demand for retail, and we had this little space on the front of our operation. We look at it, and we all we needed was a cashier. All you you really need was a cashier, which is easy now with uh, you know the device on on your iPhone, and and that's it. Exactly. Now he holds in the, in, <laughs> in a hand in your hand, you know. Yeah. So so we did it at first, and maybe the first day was like. Two people walked in, you know, like, oh, wow, we did this. Well, let's see. And now, uh, like, you know, we're open for like 10 months almost. There is people coming and coming back. So it's awesome. It's very nice to see the, the people. That's good for business. 
yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's, and they love the product and uh, they're happy, like, oh, finally, we find something like in France. And, uh, and we have French people, we have American people, Asian people. It's very, it's really eclectic, yeah, it's really nice. Absolutely. I, I still remember the very nice care package that, uh, you know, you gave me uh, when I was there in December and uh, I was eating, <laughs> you know, all those uh, great product from the bread and, um, you know, to the Viennoiserie uh, when I was in the car. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, let's talk about a little bit of the bread and do a little deep dive here. So can you tell us, and probably not to go too much into too much detail, but can you describe the different steps that include in, uh, you know, in bread making? Yeah, so to be like general, basically, you start with the, uh, so you're going to scale your ingredients, then you're going to mix, then there is different style of mixing. You can, you can mix in one shot, you can mix in different steps, you can rest your dough between, then you let your rest, you let your dough resting for a certain amount of time, and then you will divide, reshape, let it rest again, and then you, you will shape, and then you, you let it proof. And then you will bake it. So basically that will be the four main steps. Now some for different bread, like you take, let's say the pandemic, for example, the sandwich bread, you will do this process in about an hour, an hour and a half before the oven. Between the mix and the oven. Oh, and those four about, steps. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But for a nice pan campagne, like a sourdough, you can easily go to over 24 hours. Some, some okay. recipes go 72 hours. For which one? Sorry, 72 you said? Which one? Oh, for some uh, traditional bread, like in France, like uh, sourdough, like rye, rye bread, for example, you can go okay. over 72 hours process, yes. And what's the time, uh, the average time for a baguette? I would say 24 hours is good. It's pretty much what we do. So yeah, you, you will mix the dough the day before and you let it rest uh, in the cooler, like at 4 degrees Celsius, like 38 Fahrenheit. Or you can also shape the same day and let it sit in like, Six, seven uh, Celsius degrees. So that your yeast, at four degrees, your yeast is sleeping. Your uh, fermentation, I'll uh, uh, say agent. So sourdough, for example. So at four, four degrees Celsius, it will sleep, like in a cooler uh, fridge temperature. Now, if you go at six, seven, it will low, slowly, slowly, slowly ferment. That's where you get the really nice deep fermentation flavor. This is uh, because of this temperature and then being very careful the way how you do it that is going to have an impact, for instance, on those, the size of like the bubbles that are inside, um, you know, the, the soft texture of, of the bread. Yeah, so that is accumulation of all, all different steps. If you want a nice alveolage inside, first of all, the mix can't be intensive, what we call intensive, meaning like on second speed for like 10 minutes. Now you just do a slow mix on first speed. You respect the time. You give the time to the gluten to absorb and all the, you know, the, the water, the flour. Let a lot of time resting. Then the way you shape it, uh, you're very gentle with the dough. So, you know, you won't get a lot of volume to your dough, your bread, but you will, you'll get a very nice inside. You asked me earlier the difference between artisan bread and, uh, and I would say industrial bread. When you lift a one pound bread from, from an uh, industrial, it's big. It's, it's like lots of volume because there is not, not much inside. When you take the same amount and, uh, of, uh, of uh, artisan bread, the bread will be like twice smaller. Like really like because fermentation, that's it. Mm -hmm. 
And how do you make sure that there's a right, let's say, spread of those bubble within like this uh, soft part of the bread? Because, you know, sometime I've seen and when it's not well done that you can have like, you know, the bubble on one side, on the bottom, on the top. And, you know, it's and it's not really, um, you know, like uh, equal, let's say, within within the inside of the bread. So what's why? Why is it so? That, that will be uh, most of it ma manipulation. Manipulation when it's time to uh, to shape. I would say, if you take too much air out of your uh, too much gas uh, out of your dough, so you pretty much you flat everything. So that will be a it will be a mad manipulation. It can also come from misunderstanding the timing of on a proofing time. If you don't let it proof enough, let it rest your dough enough, then there is no enough fermentation before you put it in the oven. So you won't have this finer fermentation in the oven. So you won't have those nice air pockets. Sorry, air pockets. That's the right term. Sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. <laughs> so what are like the most important factors or slash, you know, ingredients that impact the flavor of the finished bread? Oh, first of all, the quality of the flour. Uh, that's for sure. That's one. You don't do nice bread with bad flour. That's not possible. Quality of your water. Pretty much everybody, uh, we we use a filtration system. And when you say, sorry, when you say the f the quality of the water, you're talking about like the the pH level or? Yeah, the pH level and uh, the, the nutrient that you have inside, That all that can be checked. It's really the mother, I would say. Uh, we use mother for what we do. And uh, You're talking about the, the Levin, like the yeast part? The, the Levin, the sourdough, yeah. Yeah, yeah the sourdough, okay. So you don't want to use too much yeast and uh, way, or only yeast. That's if you use yeast, you know you're gonna do, you're about to do a bread like in three hours, so you won't have any flavor. You just won't have any flavor. It's really flavor comes from time, flavor comes from quality of ingredients, and from respect of manipulation. So you, you don't do a nice bread in four hours. That that's a lie. When I go and and buy bread, or someone you know listening that go and and buy bread, what are like the main Characteristic that we should look for for a good bread. Look, I would say uh, a nice shiny golden uh, crust on the baguette, for example. Unless it's baked in a in a wood oven, you won't have any shininess because you don't have much steam on a wood oven. But you have a nice dark bottom, which tastes very good. Wood oven is some of the most tasty bread. And then it's not to look; it's to hear the sound. You really want to see the crunch. That crusty, the sound of the crust, crust, you know, that's really what you look for. Not too much flour. That, that's also a bad sign when you see a lot of like big patch of flour on top of the bread. Don't buy it because this is not well manipulated. Manipulation was wrong there. No consistency on the on the, on the product. I would say too. That's what I look at. But sometimes you're gonna see like ten baguette like almost burn and ten like super white. So I would avoid those places. You know, maybe this is more like from a chef perspective, and I, I, I want to have maybe if you have an opinion on this from a, a, a an artisan baker. But um, obviously, when you go to um, you know to a restaurant and they do uh, a cheese plate or they do you know like a charcuterie plate, obviously you have different type of breads. You know, like the one that we described before. Do you think that there is um, an interesting, let's say, knowledge to have there when it comes to pairing? A different type of bread with different type of food. What's what's your thoughts on that? Definitely, there is a place for improvement on that. I'm very sad sometimes when you go to a nice restaurant and you see the piece of bread coming to the table. 
you're just like, no, why you played? Your food is so good and uh, everything is good around me. And you bring me that bread, like it's white, it's soft, it's done with semolina. Or, no, you don't respect the dish. You know? So especially when you have those, uh, those dishes like uh, a cheese plate or a cured meat plate, you really want the, the bread is 50% of the, uh, of the dish. I wish those chefs will really do some research and go around because there is bakeries, good bakeries everywhere by now. So I believe when now in the days, it's easier to find than 10 years ago, a good, good bread, you know, at the right price for the, for the, all those chefs here. But I see people, I, I see improvements. I really see improvements, uh, as we go and, uh, that's exciting. That's a very exciting for us. Yes. But when it comes to uh, pairing, do you think that there is some type of food that goes better with the baguette or better with the sourdough, better with the rye? I just wanted to have your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the, the, the baguette will go good for sandwiches, stuff like that. And, uh, the country bread, uh, the sourdough bread, I like when it was a deep flavor, like, uh, like a cured meat, for example, like a nice saucisson. You want it like the nice deep flavor on the bread as well. To avoid the contrast. For some cheese, for example, I like cheese with baguette because that way I can really taste the cheese and not the bread. If the bread is too sour, you will have a combination of flavor in your mouth. And if you really buy the cheese for the cheese, I will eat it with the baguette. I remember my my mother, my parents, like uh, having, uh, you know, just like cheese and um, like, uh, you know, you will say cheese plate now, but like uh, cheese and, and bread or or dry meat, uh, cured meat and, and bread, like a, as an evening dinner. Did you have that experience as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's some of the best meal, actually, for, for me. Just like a, like, a, like a tapas style for the Spanish people, you know? It's pretty much, it would be this, our French tapas, I would say. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. That's true. I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. So what advice would you have, you know, for a home bread maker, someone who wants to do uh, their bread at home and how they can improve on their bread techniques? So the first thing I believe it would be to uh, just be curious, open books, many books as much as you can, look for recipes and then look for ingredients. Don't buy the cheap flour, rather spend a couple more bucks on the, or money on the flour. And to really have a good base, yes. Do you have a book? Like, do you have a book in mind, uh, maybe to um, to recommend? Oof. no, not really. No, not not one particularly. No, no, no. It's really a combination of different. Because one one chef, one one baker will give you his vision of bread. Doesn't mean it's the one you like. Doesn't mean the one you match with. That's why I say always many books. Open many books from different people. For the homemade, I would say. So what's uh, critical for uh, bread making is really temperature and time. So respect those. Have, have a term thermometer with you, but this is very important. Because, uh, yep, yeah, uh, slow temperature dough is going to take forever. And uh, if it's too too hot, it's going to be too fast. So temperature control, it's what you need to master. You need to learn about. Yes. Then for the oven, the, the main piece that uh, people don't have at home, there is tricks for uh, the steam, the steam injected. So what we call in French the grandma, when my steam system doesn't work in the oven, the grandma style is to put a, a bowl of water before, like half an hour before you put your bread in, you will put a nice amount of water in the bowl 
in on the bottom of your oven. And so what he creates, he creates evaporation. So the chamber of baking becomes humid. And soon as uh, you're about to load, you take that bowl out and you load your oven. You load your bread. So that's one thing. Now there, there is an, uh, there is a something like we, you can look at and, uh, it's called Dutch oven. Yeah, Dutch oven. It's kind yeah. of like a, yeah, like a ceramic uh, containers with a, with a nice lid. It's heavy. And, uh, to me right now, it's the easiest uh, tool to use at home. And you can really get nice results, nice, crunchy, and, and like a kind of shiny uh, crust. To me, that's the best, yeah. Really? Equipment to get, yes. Okay. Wow. Dutch oven to um, make your bread at home. Here you go, guys. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Viennoiserie because we haven't, you know, we talked a lot about bread, but uh, obviously you are a master, not only a master baker, but as well a master in Viennoiserie. So. For the people listening that maybe are not familiar with the term, you know, viennoiserie, which is obviously a French word, what's the difference between pâtisserie and, and viennoiserie? Okay, so viennoiserie is basically, uh, so the, the main will be the croissant, that's the image that uh, you have. So basically what it is, it's, uh, it's a folded dough. You fold butter into a batter. And so what it, what it creates is when, uh, when the product rises on the oven, those little Thin, thin, thin layers of butter actually boil, and that's what brings what we call the puff, puffing thing. So, so basically, it's what it is: is mastering uh, how to layers butter, and then from that you can do really lo lots of different uh, savory and sweet, like all the Danish fruit Danish. You can do uh, spinach. You can do a lot of uh, the quiche. Uh, can do don't like that. There is so many, uh, so many product and direction you can do when you. Uh, you know a little bit about Viennoiserie, yes. So at the, at the beginning of the call, you said that when you are an artisan baker, the way how you judge the quality, you know, of others, other bakers, when you go to, uh, you know, their store is one, the baguette, and two, the croissant. So tell us a little bit, what does that mean for you and what makes like a, a great croissant? So to me, the croissant has to be light. And if you take the croissant and it feels heavy in your hand, you know the inside won't be good. What you look for when you cut, when you slice a croissant in half, you really look for this honeycomb. It has to be light. It has to be hairy. That is first good sign for the croissant. Now you want the croissant to be round and not flat. If it's flat, you mean technical issues there. <laughs> and then it comes to taste. The croissant, it's all about the butter, the quality of the butter. You don't do a nice croissant with a low quality butter. That's just not possible to reach. Yeah, our butter we use at Magnol is a, is a French butter. Okay, so I, when you mean it's a French butter, it's coming from France. Yeah, it's from Normandy. It's called uh, Isigny Saint-Mer. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know. Yeah. I know exactly. But <laughs> it's like, uh, and uh, okay, I didn't know that uh, you you are you are getting the the ingredients from uh, from France. Okay. Oh yeah, that's for me. Is the whole voice of the butter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I love this better, you know, as, uh, you know, from Normandy and it's, yeah, I've been there uh. <laughs> <laughs> very often, in fact, long time ago. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. But before we, um, we know we uh, stop the show and the recording, I always finish with a series of rapid fire questions. So are you, are you ready for them? Uh, let's go. Okay. So I want to know, are you more a croissant person or what they will call here, like the chocolate croissant, which, you know, you and I will call pain au chocolat. 
uh, croissant, butter croissant. Real okay, flavored. the only, croissant. Yeah. As you know, like croissants are good only when they are fresh. <laughs> you know, I ex- try to explain that to my American friends here. And I remember, you know, with my mom when I was a kid, you know, when we had like uh, leftover croissant from the day before, we would slice them in half and we will fill them with a little bit of butter, the good one, <laughs> and with, uh, you know, ham and cheese, and we will reheat them in the oven. And she would serve that, you know, with a, maybe a salad for, you know, for dinner. Did you do something similar? I just wanted to, um, to know if, you know, you had something. Uh, kind of a recipes that maybe comes from your family or that you are making, you know, with the with the leftover croissant. Yeah, so my mom will do the same uh, ham and cheese, but she will put uh, bechamel, nice ah, peppery bechamel. Yeah, yes. yes, that really brings. But it has to be strong on pepper, black pepper. That's my yeah. I will go that way. Yeah. The way you don't have to put too much, and it just it brings another another flavor to the uh, the to the dish. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the trick for everyone listening. Don't eat the croissant the next day. No, no, you should not no. do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do these uh, fantastic recipes, um, you know, with uh, the ham, the cheese and the bechamel from, uh, you know, uh, Matthew. So that's a, that's a great one. That's a great addition. So I, I just, now we are talking about croissant. Did you, when you are in the, in the bakery, do you ever... I want to say steal, and um, let's say, like, say take. Do you want do you take a, a croissant like coming like warm and hot out of the oven? No, that's uh, that's Joel Robuchon who, uh, who teach me that. The time between the, when you eat your product and between that moment and uh, when it comes out of the oven is very important. Ah, he was he was able to tell me you baked your croissant too early today. I'm like, what? Yeah, it was not the right temperature. The, the butter was not at the right texture. I don't like this one. It was too cold. I'm like, whoa. Wow. And I go, I go back to the bakery. I'm like, how this guy knew that I was, I was half an hour early today. That's crazy. So <laughs> oh I really gosh. realized, yeah, it, it's how, how special this personage was. Exactly. That's I a great story. That wow. <laughs> I was stuck that day. And uh, so my advice, no, never, never bite a croissant coming out of the oven. The butter is still uh, hot, hot inside and it will just collapse. It will just collapse in your mouth. It's not good. You have to wait at least 30 minutes to 40 minutes. And that's the perfect time because, because then the butter didn't have time to get cold so hard. And it's just like melting, but it's right there. It's right on point. Yes. Sometimes we, uh, I serve the, the, our customer and I'm like, you're lucky. This is the perfect moment right now to buy your <laughs> right now. Eat it <laughs> now. <laughs> the, you know, our American friends listening to the podcast, they say those French people, they are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. And personally, I don't steal my croissant. I don't, I taste the croissant. If, if I, if I'm not very happy with the volume of the, the look, I will, I will definitely slice them in half and see what's going on inside. And, Sure. Try to fix it for the next day. Ah, yeah, you need you need to do some quality testing. Come on, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's called quality control, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, quality control, absolutely. Throughout your career, what would you say that are the three bakery books that inspired you the most? Oh, the books. Ooh, hard to say. Hard to say. The first one I had in my hand was the one they give me at school. Uh, I don't even remember the, the name of it, but uh, I still have it somewhere here, for sure. I know Tartine is a very from San Francisco. I love that books. Very, very interesting. Yep, very uh, nicely done. Uh, I went, I went there, mm-hmm, and I too. was just 
<laughs> like yeah, people people talk about them. Uh, now I know why. Yeah, those are legit. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, a third one. Third one. Oh, third one. See, uh, I put you on the spot here. Yeah, I think I'm gonna send you the link later. <laughs> I forgot. His name. Okay, no problem. I, have, I, have one, I see the I, I see the cover, but I, I need to look for the name. <laughs> sure. No, send it. me the link, and again, I, I will put them into the uh, the show notes for the one listening uh, people listening. It's at uh, the website uh, flavorsunknown.com, and then you just um, you go to the episode page, and then you will see um, you know obviously the the episode there. Besides France, do you have another travel destination when it comes to artisan breads? Oh, uh, you know now pretty much everywhere. Korea, I would say. Korea, Korea, or Jap- Korea and Japan—they are very, very, very good. I mean, when you are in France in school, you see a lot of uh, expat, like Japanese people and Korean people, coming in our school, learning the process, learning the, and then they go back to the country, and they are very, very good at it. To me, Japanese bread is, uh, I mean, it's from the French technique. They are able to really master, master our hearts. And, uh, it's, it's beautiful to see what they're able to do. Okay. I uh, would thought that maybe you wouldn't mention Germany because they are quite famous as well. It's a different kind, but it's the, their abortion, you know, are, are really, really good as well. But you know, in every, if you should think about it, every single civilization from the, the beginning of the history has their own bread. I mean, it can be a pita, it can be, there is so many different uh, styles, but even if you think about tacos, taco shell, it, it is a kind of a bread, you know, it's just flour and water and uh, each civilization control and define the different way. Or the, or the naan, you know, in India as well, which is pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so outside of bread, what's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure food? Um, it's from uh, where I come from, Brittany, it would be the seafood platter. No hesitation right there. But it has to be done by my mom, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have that every day then, you know, okay. No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> unfortunately, like the fresh scallops maybe coming out uh, directly of the uh, Atlantic Ocean? <laughs> yeah, I used to live in, uh, my parents live in uh, like five minutes away from uh, the oyster farm. Oh, wow. So we would just go there and it's picked up from the ocean uh, and on the table 10 minutes later, shocked by my brother. It was just delicious. The stone crab off. Another thing is what, what annoys you the most in, uh, in your industry? Industry? No respect of the heart. If you don't respect the process, seriously, you should clock out and leave. Uh, that's it. If, if you have no passion for your products, so it means you don't, you have no passion for your customer. And what was, what's the point of wor- uh, working that hard on that environment and Working the uh, holidays and long hours standing and and you don't like what you're doing, you don't try to get it done correctly. Just leave the spot to somebody who has passion. To me, that's what are the non-respect of the quality. And, yeah. Okay. So the last one I wanted to ask you is: um, Would you take me for like a, a one week uh, for free if I come to Houston and then teach me how to uh, bake bread? Uh, if you respect the, the location, I will respect you. <laughs> no, definitely. We can always, uh, we can always uh, train people from the Keiko and uh, explain them the, the move, the gesture, and explain, explain the house, explain. I'm not saying you'll be able to go home and make the same baguette, but I can tell you, yeah, you'll be able to get something correct out of your oven, yes, and to please your, your own uh, customer. That's for sure. In one week, it's enough, yes. 
that's always fascinated me. So um, that that's something that uh, I always, um, you know, said in a, kind of the corner of my mind said, you know, I, that's trade that uh, I would love to um, to learn and experience for sure. All right. You're welcome anytime. Anytime. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you, Matthew. So, um, and I would say Matthew, you know, in, in France. And, and, and for the people that are listening, you know, you may wonder why Matthew has a sound which is very soft, you know, on his phone. Do you want to explain a little bit, Matthew? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to clear. I had to clean my phone uh, before the phone call because I have a lot of flour on the, uh, <laughs> on the phone everywhere. So yeah, that's a, week, I thought I it's a funny a, story. So. <laughs> Yeah, you, you have to clean. You have to clean your phone regularly because of the flower, correct? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, Matthew. Thank you so much for being um, a guest on the podcast. I am really, um, as I said, you know, at the beginning, uh, really uh, thrilled to to have you on and and being able to uh, discuss, um, you know, a little bit of your industry and uh, and bread making. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the invitation. Always nice to uh, share the passion and. Uh, so if some people can learn a little bit about, about bread making, well, I'm happy with it. Come to Houston and uh, visit us. You're Absolutely. Open. The Magnolia Bakery. Yes. All right. Thank you very much. Oh, I love this episode about the art and craft of bread making. I hope you enjoyed it as well. If you did, please share this episode or the podcast flavors unknown with a friend. It will take you only two minutes. And it will help me a lot as word of mouth is the best way to add more listeners to the show. You can find the show notes of this episode on the website flavorsunknown.com. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Flavors Unknown. Next episode will be an exciting one as my guest is Chef Chris Cosantino from San Francisco. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review. Find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. And if you want to join the Flavors Unknown community, search Flavors Unknown on Instagram and Twitter.